Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Today is uh, the celebration. Anybody know what it is? Huh? Not, it, it's the, uh, um, it is the Feast of Pentecost today. 50th day after the, uh, celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, you know, the Feast of Pentecost is a big deal for the church, right? It's a big deal because it represents the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the, the church and they went out, as Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, until power from heaven comes down upon you and then you go out into the world and make disciples. And so that, that's what we're celebrating today. Anybody excited about the Holy Spirit uh, coming into the church? Because um, without the Holy Spirit, we are in big trouble. Amen. Hey, can we turn the house lights up? I, I like to see people's faces. Just, just like to do that, you know. But uh, so if you have a Bible, open up with me to Galatians chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Galatians chapter 2, Acts chapter 10. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Um, Brian is peddling the Bible today. So if you need one, grab it. Galatians chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Galatians 2, Acts chapter 10. Again, if you're a guest with us, we're so gl- well, glad you're here with us. We want to welcome you as well as those joining us online. And uh, we are in the series called Unshackled this morning. Again, it's a verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. If you haven't been with us, I want to give you a real brief sort of summary of where we're at. The Apostle Paul, who was a legalist that got converted on the way to Damascus by Jesus, he was arrested by grace, and uh, he was converted. He became, he was Saul who became Paul, and uh, he is an apostle called by Jesus Christ to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his specific calling That's why God created him. From the foundation of the world, God knew that one day Paul would have an encounter with grace and it would change his life forever. And then he would then take that gospel of grace into the world and speak specifically to uh, 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 the only other people in the world that were not Jew or Gentile. So he would speak to that particular uh, set of the world uh, who would be rejected by the Jews. And so he had one of those ministries, almost like a Jonah uh, ministry. You know, the the Jews didn't want to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and, and Paul was uh, uh, one of those legalists that would probably be very staunch about it, but God changed his heart. He helped him to understand that God cares about everyone. He cared, he, you know, that, and by the way, the Jews were, were incredibly wrong about that. They were, they were totally off base as it related to the Gentiles, you know, so uh, we, we, can be, we, we can learn a lesson from the Jews, I think, in terms of uh, becoming elitists and thinking that, uh, you know, God cares so much about us and he doesn't really care about anybody else, right? No, he cares about the church. He loves the church, but he loves the world. He loves every person. He loves every single person. It doesn't matter if they're a Satanist to an atheist to uh, somebody who's living wholehearted for him. He loves everybody the same, the exact same, so much so that he would send his son, right? That's the gospel, that God, in spite of who we are, would send his son to be crucified on a cross to rise again from the dead so that we can be reconciled to a holy God. It's an awesome message. It's a glorious message. It's the message that Paul was taking into the world. Now, in this particular book, he is taking it into a region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. The problem that had arisen in in these churches, this group of churches, is that these legalistic Judaizers who were part of the party of circumcision, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, had come into the church and they were preaching a Jesus plus something gospel, which is no gospel at all, as we've been talking about. We know that it's a law-based salvation that says I can work my way to God. And we all know that the law cannot produce liberty. It can only produce condemnation. We know that the law It's good in and of itself. It reveals to us who we are, but there is no salvation in trying to obey that law because you've broken it already. Even if you were to live the rest of your life perfectly according to the law, you're already guilty. You've broken the law. There is no going back. You can't pay the price. That's why Jesus came. Paul was trying to, Paul gave the gospel. Then they were, these these Judaizers come in and said, no, no, you have to be circumcised. You have to abide by the law and all. And, um, so the, the letter that Paul is writing is corrective in nature. He is speaking to a group of people who have been deceived. 
he's helping them understand that the only way to be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's the only way for a person to, to be reconciled to God. Now, as I mentioned last week, and, and, and as I continue to dig into this letter, I can't help but think about the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter. You know, it, it's, it, just think of it this way. Paul had poured his heart out into these people. He had poured his life out into them. He had, he had um, you know, at, at his own expense, you know, in whatever case, sufferings and beatings and all kinds of things, he had literally shed his own blood that they might have the gospel of grace. So you can understand his passion for these people. But, but to only have them turn around and to say to him, I don't trust you, I don't believe that you're an apostle, and I don't believe that you're preaching the right message. Now tell me you wouldn't be offended. I know you wouldn't be, but I would be, you know. I know you guys are a little bit more spiritual than I am, but I would be a little offended by that. It might be a little bit difficult for me to write a letter like this and not become personal, right? Not get my own personal feelings in the way of, of the gospel. There is an incredible lesson as I'm walking through this that we see the discipline of Paul, the bliss discipline of saying, I must decrease that Christ might increase, right? That, that I have to be so sold out that I can't worry about how I feel. About, I can't worry about people offending me. I have to be totally focused on bringing the gospel into the world. Now, I, I think there's, that's the lesson for us as the church today because it's so easy to be offended. In fact, we offend people all the time just by simply mentioning Jesus Christ, right? But, but also, I think on the other hand, we are incredibly offended as the church, when people come against us, say things against us or whatever, our feelings get in the way, and all of a sudden we begin to what? Misrepresent the gospel. Because the gospel is all about unconditional love. You see, we have to be sold out to that concept of unconditional love. It doesn't matter how I'm being treated. I have to love people. Now, I can tell you right now that that is 100% impossible in your flesh. 100% impossible. You cannot, I don't care, oh, he has a loving nature. That's a loving, sinful nature that is conditional. There is no person that has the kind of love that God has unless he is born again, unless the Holy Spirit resides in him because the Holy Spirit gives us that kind of love. Paul is filled with this kind of love for these people. I love that he is steadfast for the gospel, not for himself. He's not trying to build himself up. He's not trying to make himself something more than he is. He also is not trying to make himself something less than he is. He's simply fulfilling the will of God for his life. And I find that incredible that, you know, that he would, he would understand the battle. He would understand that, that the fact of who he is writing to, that the people that are coming against him are not of fleshly nature. You realize that. In fact, he understood that battle so much that he, the whole, by the Holy Spirit, he penned the very verse that I'm going to read for you, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You know the verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Paul understood who he was battling it wasn't Judaizers. It wasn't people of the circumcision party. It was Satan. It was deception. That's who he, he understood that was the battle. Now, we know the battle belongs to the Lord. You know, we know that God has given us the ability to fight that battle, that we can put on the armor of God. That's what Paul continues to say in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the armor of God. Be prepared. Listen, I, I need to remind you this morning that whatever oppositions you're facing, whatever offenses are in your life, they are ultimately, it's a spiritual issue. There, is, there are forces in darkness coming against you if you're standing for Christ. You are in a battle. We have to warrior up, folks. We have to be warriors on a daily basis, mo moment by moment. We have to have the armor of God on because we are in a battle. We're in a battle. Parents, you need to be reminded this morning, you're not battling flesh and blood. You are battling principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. You are battling a spiritual battle. Therefore, you, cannot, you can't battle it in the flesh. 
Listen, I, I love this verse as a parent. I learned this early on because, um, you know, I needed to learn this. And, 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 and it, the verse is this. Paul, or, or, I'm sorry, James said, you know, that we, the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. What do I mean? You can't simply get angry with your kids if they're not obeying you. You, you have to understand it's a spiritual battle. You have to fight that with spiritual weapons. You got to fight. You, you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, mothers are warriors. They do fight for their kids. Dads, we need to be warriors. We have to fight for our kids, and we have to fight in the proper way. It's, it's, it's through uh, getting girded up on the, the spirit, with the spiritual armor that we've been given. You're in a battle. Paul understood that. He didn't, he didn't get offended by the fact that they turned away from him. They rejected him, yes. But Paul understood really what they did was reject Christ, not him. How can I be offended if I'm a simple tool? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Listen, if Jesus isn't offended, how dare I be offended? How dare I be offended? I have a job to do. You have a job to do. You were a warrior. You signed up to be in an army, and you have to gird yourself up and prepare yourself for the battles that lie ahead. They will come. You may be experiencing some, you know, some, some, some relaxation right now. Understand, you might be on you know, furlough or, or whatever it might be, but listen, the battle's coming. You're in the battle, and it's going to continue to come. So we can, we can flee, and we can, you know, act like it's not going to happen, it'll still come at us. Or we can stand up and we can do what Paul did and we can preserve the gospel of grace and we can stand firm in our faith and we can fight like a good soldier. That's what he's doing. He is fighting for these people. This is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in Paul's life. You know, as, and that's the underlying thing that I find in the book of Galatians. As, in fact, it's something that I find underlying in Paul's life in general. Because almost every book that he reads is him, try, him trying to explain to people that he really is an apostle, that he really was called by God, that he really was given the message directly by revelation from God. Here's a guy that I believe had his entire life lived in the shadow of the apostles, the other apostles, as if he was not an apostle. And yet, he's one of the, he wrote most of the New Testament, folks. He was the one that God used almost the most as it related to giving us the word, preserving the gospel. Why? Because he understood his job. He understood he was a vessel. I hope you understand that this morning. I hope you understand the battle that you're in. They were telling Paul, you're not an apostle. And, and, and Paul stood up and he said, no, I am an apostle. I was called by Christ himself. But the message you're not preaching isn't right. No, the message that I'm preaching is the true gospel given by revelation of Jesus Christ. He's standing against the truth. The, the way that we battle darkness, folks, is with light. That's how you battle darkness. When the enemy's telling, me, telling you that God doesn't love you, you battle him through the word. But the word says he loves me. The, the Bible says you'll never be good enough. That's true. But it says Christ was good enough. And I, faith in him, I've been justified, we'll see. I've been crucified with Christ. We'll see here as, as he works through this, these passages that, you know, he, he understands that, this, that he, is, he is being steadfast in the gospel that he's been given. He's not concerned about people and how they view him. He's concerned about being steadfast to the Lord. Um, every Christian is going to endure personal attacks. You will. People will call you out, you know, they'll, they'll, <laughs> you'll be witnessing to people and then, and then they'll, they'll say, oh, but, you know, later down the road, yeah, but you didn't really know what you're talking about and I'm, I'm going a different direction. Don't take it personal. Stay steadfast to doing what you're called to do, to take the gospel. Now, as we move into, um, you know, at the, the second part of chapter two, as Paul is continuing, you know, this, this steadfast approach to preserving the gospel of grace and his authority by Jesus, we find an interesting um, con confrontation that Paul has with the Apostle Peter. He, he brings this up right here because, again, people are saying that he's not a real apostle. So what Paul does is he says, well, well, let me show you the authority that I actually exercised against Peter who would, well, if you're a Catholic, you'd think, well, he was the first pope, right? Um, you know, so, but, but no, he was, he was a man, 
and uh, he, he was called by Christ to take the gospel into the world like everyone else. Of course, you know, he called, Jesus called him a little rock. Pete, you're going to be the guy. You're, you're sort of in charge here. But that also means there's a lot of weight on your shoulders, brother. And so, you know, Paul is going to address something where Peter was off base. He, he um, you know, he actually was uh, committed adultery, spiritual adultery. The title of my message is Gospel Fidelity this morning. It's all about being faithful to the gospel of grace, which ultimately is being faithful to Jesus Christ. You see, we are all in a marriage relationship with the Lord. It's, it's a covenant relationship. It's a marriage. We are his bride. He is our groom. And the vows that we take are known as the gospel of grace. That's our vows. I will have and hold Jesus Christ, um, you know, by grace, through faith, till death do we part. Right? That's, that's the gospel vow to, to marriage covenant relationship with Jesus. Right? And so like any marriage, you need to be faithful to that vow. When, when I took the vows with my wife here, uh, you know, I told her that I would, would, I would be faithful to her no matter what was going on in her life. It wasn't circumstantial faithfulness. It, was, it what had nothing to do with my circumstances. You know, to have and to hold till death, you know, in sickness and health and in, in wealth and poor, whatever it might be, that I'm going to be faithful to her. The same holds true for Jesus. We have to be faithful to Jesus. We have to be, we have to be people that are committed to the gospel that Jesus is the only way. To do otherwise would be to commit spiritual adultery. To think that you can make your... And Paul said it like this. I mean, he, he actually said it specifically in the same way in Romans chapter 7. And he said this in verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, uh, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now he's going he's gonna to illustrate this through marriage. Now watch this. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, he, he illustrated what he just said. You know, you want to live by the law. This is what the law looks like. But he said, likewise now. He is talking to the church. He's talking to the bride of Christ. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law uh, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, in the relationship that you are in with God, it is no longer by law. We are not taking sacrifices to a temple and shedding blood for our sin. Jesus Christ paid it all for us. There is no longer, hey, yeah, Come on, Jesus Christ paid. I appreciate that. I like people that are lively. Come on, man. So Jesus paid the price for us, folks. You're not trying to relate to, to, relate to Jesus by the law would to be to commit spiritual adultery upon him. You know, he, he's trying to get you to understand that you have been released from the law because Christ paid the price. He fulfilled the law for you. He did it all for you. Also, that, doesn't, that means I don't have to do anything to be saved. The only thing that you have to do is believe in Jesus. To put, listen, and this is not a small thing. To surrender 100% of your life to Jesus. This is, this is no flippant prayer that says, just give me salvation and, I'm, and I do whatever I want to do the rest of my life. This is a cataclysmic uh, decision that sort of wrecks your life in a beautiful way and transforms you, as Dan said, turned us upside down that we are now completely and totally sold out to Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to, to be released from the law. And, and as you're released from the law, then, then as you live your life now, 
You live by grace, as we'll see in a moment. We live by grace. So in other words, we're not condemned by the law any longer because Christ's blood paid the price. So when we sin, it's an, it's, it's, it's a, it's an oops, I'm sorry, Lord. It's not a you were condemned, you were guilty because Christ paid the price. If you're a Christian, if you're genuinely a Christian, your sins are forgiven. Christ paid the price. But if you are not, you are guilty. You're still married to the law. And you are going to be condemned by the law. But unless, unless you receive the grace that Christ has given, we are his bride. We took the vows. We have to be faithful with those vows. Amen? So my prayer this morning is that if anyone's flirting with another gospel, like these churches were, that God would arrest your heart with grace this morning, that he would help you to see that Christ is enough for us. We, we can't pay a single price for our sin, but Christ paid it all, and we can be justified in him. So stand with me if you would. I'm just going to read one verse, and we're going to get into it as we consider Peter's infidelity here. Beginning in verse 11... Paul writes, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit now, that you would speak so truthfully into our hearts, God, that we could not deny the gospel of grace this morning. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the reality of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, it doesn't matter if we've walked with you and for a hundred years, Lord, this is still the most impactful message we could ever receive in all the world that Jesus came for me, that he died for me. Lord, would you, would you just continue to unpack the, the wonder of what Jesus has done for us this morning as we consider it in light of uh, one brother confronting another brother about the gospel of grace? Lord, speak into our lives. Have your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you can be seated. Paul brings up this opposition with Peter here again because he's, he's addressing some false allegations about his calling. And uh, it says that Peter came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is Antioch of Syria. This is where Paul and Barnabas were kind of headquartered, and they hung out there be, as they would go you know, go back to Antioch. They planted a church there, and it was thriving. And, and remember, Paul and Barnabas had gone back to Jerusalem. They had that meeting multiple times. They're probably three times at this point. Sometime during that time, uh, you know, Paul and Barnabas had gone back to Jerusalem. They had told the, the brothers, at least Peter, about what was happening in, these, in the Gentile area, you know. And then Peter was curious. He said, man, I'm going to have to go see this for myself. Now, Peter was a guy who was not unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit working in Gentiles. And in fact, it would be Peter who God would begin to, would reach out to the very first Gentiles. It would be through Peter in Acts chapter 10. Flip over there with me real quick. You recall that it was, it was by the, um, the Italian uh, uh, centurion Cornelius who the Holy Spirit would speak to as he was praying. Now, Cornelius was a devout man. He was a, he was a God-fearer. That means that he, he was obeying the laws. He was surrendered to God, but he was not a proselyte. He had not converted to, to Judaism. He was simply a Gentile living as a Jew, informally, right? He hadn't been circumcised. He hadn't been baptized. He hadn't gone through all the ceremonial washings and all of this to become a proselyte, but he was a God-fearer. He loved and worshiped the God of Israel. He loved and worshiped the God of Israel. And the Lord saw that. The Lord saw his heart. And he, and he, and he tells him in, a, in, a, in sort of a, a vision or, a, or whatever, a dream, he said, I want you to send three men down to Joppa. And I want you to um, go send them over to Peter's house. And I want you to tell Peter to come back. And so Cornelius, you know, by the Holy Spirit, obeys and sends three guys out. Now, in the meantime, Peter's in Joppa. Peter is a hungry guy, and he, he's, he wants to have some lunch. So, so the ladies or whoever's making lunch, maybe who knows who it was. He maybe had John, you know, John, you make lunch since he, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit busy right now. I got to take a nap. So, 
you go and make lunch for me or whatever happened. I don't know. But, but Peter went up on the roof. And he, he, it says that he literally, he fell into a trance. I'm going to read it for you in Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 16. The next day, so after these guys had left Cornelius' house, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Oh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So what the Lord was doing with Peter in this moment was preparing him for an encounter that he will have with Gentiles. The Lord knew that he had to change his heart like he does with you. And he gives you, he preempts you with information, with, with, with stuff that's meant to change your heart for a conversation you're going to have later. That's what's happening with Peter. The Lord gives him a vision and he says, hey, here's these unclean animals. And Peter's a devout Jew, right? I've never, I've never eaten anything unclean. I won't do it, Lord. And the Lord says, oh, Pete, don't tell me no. That is one word you don't tell God. No. Pete, come on. Don't call what I've, what I've called clean unclean. Don't do it. What God was doing was breaking down religious legalisms in his heart. And he's still doing it on our hearts in various different ways. But Pete understood um, at some point that, you know, he was, uh, that the Lord was wanting to do something. And, and in obedience to the Holy Spirit, these three men show up and Peter goes with them. He goes to Cornelius' house and they're, they're, they're sitting there and, and Peter doesn't fully, fully understand why he's there. He doesn't, doesn't completely grasp it. And, and so um, it, Cornelius reveals to him uh, why he's there. So here's the event that happened, Acts 10, verses 28 through 33. This is the conversation. Uh, Peter tells him, for you yourself, speaking to Cornelius and his household, know how unlawful it is for a Jew, listen, to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, i.e., I'm better than you. Uh, but he goes on, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for... I came without objection. I ask then why you have sent for me. He doesn't know. He understands that God spoke to him about some legalism, but he doesn't know why he's there. So then Cornelius says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, he is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. All that you have been commanded. Remember what Jesus said to them, to the disciples before he assigned, ascended to heaven? All authority has been given to me. Now, you take the gospel to the Jews. No to the world. Cornelius is calling Peter back to the command of Christ where he said, you teach them everything that I taught you. You teach them everything. Who, did you, who was Jesus' biggest opposition? The religious people. Jesus' biggest opposition was the Jews. Those who should have received him, they rejected him. And, and, and what he's trying to help Peter understand is that, listen, I have called you into a new covenant. It's not the same. You've got to change your ways. You can't relate to me by the old way. You have to relate to me by the new way. It's not by law, but it's by grace. And so Peter, the Holy Spirit, probably clicking in that moment, begins to speak about Jesus to these people. They receive the gospel. They believe. And at the very same time, they have the, what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius' home, and they begin to speak in tongues, extolling God or praising God. 
They were glorifying God in tongues. Where else do you see that? You see that in the establishment of the Holy Spirit in the church on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And so here we find uh, the very same thing happening. Now, Peter is probably no doubt blown away. Whoa. And then he's like, I, I love his response is like, well, <laughs> I guess I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be baptized. I mean, let's just baptize you too. I mean, you're already baptized in the Spirit. It's not like baptisms. that, by the way, <laughs> baptism doesn't save you. They were saved already. They had the Holy Spirit upon them already. Not because they were baptized. They got baptized afterwards. It's, it's, a, it's simply a profession of faith. I believe in Christ, right? So here Peter comes, and, and the Lord is trying to address these legalisms in his heart. And so, you know, it, it's interesting that um, now when we, when we, you know, some years later, we find Peter backsliding, and he's struggling with the same thing, religious, religiosity. He's struggling with legalism. He's struggling with being a Jew and the fear of man and all these things, and these are the very things that you're going to struggle with probably the rest of your life. You know, oh, I shouldn't, I, I'm not going to do this because God's not pleased with this, and then you become, you know, God, God, God doesn't like people smoking cigars, although Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars, but that doesn't mean anything because he's not Jesus. But the reality is, is that in the Bible, it's not a sin. Does it, you know, the whole, you should take care of your temple. Be careful. Beware. What, what becomes sin in these situations, you know, in, in my understanding of the Bible, is when something controls you, when it becomes controlling for you. Just like alcohol is not a sin. It's not a sin to have a drink. It's a sin to be drunk, right? The same idea. It's not a sin to eat food, but it is a sin to be gluttonous, right? Yeah, these are the kind of things that we need to understand. And so we can start to make little rules because we don't want to sin. But then they, that can become sin itself. And that's exactly where Peter is. Peter's falling back into sin because he's been given the light. He understands that it's by grace through faith, and yet he's falling backwards. And so, you know, and, and so he is going to get addressed by this. The Lord is going to address it. This is not some insignificant blooper in the highlight reel of Peter's life. This is not some small thing that happened here. This is a huge thing. Why is it so big? Why, why does it matter? Because Peter was an apostle. That's why it matters. God was establishing the church through a very few amount of people. This really matters. This is to the equivalent of Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit, saying that they gave something that they didn't give, and the Lord struck them dead on the spot. Why? That's in the New Testament, by the way. Because God is serious about his church, he's serious about his children. He loves his children, and he will, he will put his leaders through a stricter judgment as a result of the calling upon their life. James said it best in James 3.1. He said, uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that what we who teach will be judged with a, stricter, uh, with a, with a greater strictness. The Bible says that a leader in the church has a higher standard. Not, not that the standard changes, but you're called to a higher standard. Not only me as your pastor am I called to live the life that Christ called me to live, but I'm also called to lead you by my actions in the same way. And if I lead you astray, then the Lord's going to come down on me differently than he would you because he put me in a position that is visible in the church. And so if you're a leader here, that is the same with you. God has placed you in a, in a position where you have some authority. You are leading people. And he takes it very serious to the point that Jesus would say this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Does that sound serious? That sounds very serious. And you know what? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not exempt from some of these things that Jesus speaks about. He's serious about his kids. Parents, he's serious about his kids. Beware that you are not playing the hypocrite because there is a stricter judgment. Whoever you're leading, you, 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 you better be praying, God, help me to lead well. God, help me to lead them in the right way. 
Because first and foremost, I hope the heart would be, I don't want to lead anybody astray. Lord, protect me from doing that. Peter is leading people astray. People are following him, and he ends up, uh, you know, being led astray. Now, why does this happen? Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is Peter. But when they came, uh, he, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What would cause the infidelity of Peter? Why would Peter cheat on God? Why would he cheat on grace? Why would he fall back into the law? Did did the law have a more sexy appeal to him? Uh, What was the catalyst? Why did Peter backslide? It was fear. Fear of man. Listen, fear is not a bad thing if you're using it in the right way. Fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. It's the beginning of all knowledge. It's the beginning of knowing God to fear him. But to fear man, the Bible says, is a snare. It will, it, will, it will cause you to draw back as Peter did. He fell backwards because he, was fearing not, he wasn't fearing correctly. Notice, it says that there were certain men from James. Now, let me clarify this. These men were not of James. They weren't from James. James clarifies that in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 24. He says, there were some men who said that they were of us, although we, we sent them with no instructions. Meaning, yeah, they came, from, they came from Jerusalem, but they didn't come from us. We didn't tell them to go and, 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 and you know, tell the, the Gentiles that they have to be circumcised and all that, that, that they had to, you know, obey the law and everything. They were not of James, but they claimed to be of James. So they are already deceitful. They're already deceiving. You know, and, and so... Um, he goes on here, they, they, were, they were proclaiming that they must follow the law, and, and Peter understood that that was wrong. Peter knew. Peter was there in the council meeting with James and the other apostles. He understood that it was by grace through faith. And yet when these dudes showed up, he cowered back. He was fearful because of man, because of man. You know, so it was their fault then, right? Right? If they wouldn't have come, Peter wouldn't have done this. It's, it's their fault. If they wouldn't have shown up, then, you know, no, uh-uh. Own your sin. Own your sin. Had nothing to do with it. That would be like to say, if that woman wasn't so attractive, I wouldn't have committed adultery. I just wouldn't have done it. I mean, you know, but look, she was attractive, so what could I do? It's her fault. Wrong. You did it because you wanted to do it. You, listen, you chose to do it. Peter chose in this moment to fall backward. Now, aren't you glad there's grace? Aren't you glad? Because, listen, I fall backward. I don't know about you, but I fall backward, and I'm thankful for the grace of God. And Peter is thankful for the grace of God, even though he is falling backward in the law. He, he, he says he, he, he feared the men of the circumcision party. And not only that, then he led all the other Jews astray that were there. Paul wasn't in that meeting, by the way, but he will be in a second. But Peter, because of his response, then leads all these other people into that same response. Oh, they're of James. Oh, they're the circumcision party. We better bow down to them. We better better separate ourselves and act like good, proper Jews, you know. Wrong. Peter was, at this point, playing the hypocrite. And let me explain what that means. I think that we think that a hypocrite is somebody who says something and then does the opposite. That's not really the biblical definition of, an, of a hypocrite. The biblical definition of a hypocrite is somebody who's wearing a mask. So in other words, they say that they are, they appear, they're playing a part like they're somebody that they really aren't. Now, I, I, that's why I hate the whole concept of, you know, people saying, oh, yeah, the church is full of hypocrites. Why don't you come join? You'll be like the rest of us. <laughs> We're not hypocrites if you're being honest before the Lord. Listen, there's a big difference be somebody be, there's a big difference be, be, um, besides somebody who is trying to live for the Lord and failing than somebody who's acting like they're not failing but is. Those are two different people. I, I mean, I, I'm a sinner. I'll tell you straight up. I'm a sinner, right? And, and, I, and I fail. 
But my intentions are to live for the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. I desire to live for the Lord. That is not hypocrisy, folks. That is humanity. That is, you know, a, just a, a, a person that is trying to do his best. You're doing the same thing. You're trying to do your best in, in walking out your Christian life in the Lord. That's not hypocrisy. People use, they, they make, you know, statements about the church in general as if the church is full of hypocrites. I don't see a lot of hypocrites in here. You know, I see people who are genuinely trying to follow the Lord. That's why you're here. There are people that come and, and you know, to check off a list or whatever. That's hypocrisy. You know, who, who live like hell six days of the week and then the seventh day of the week they act like they've been holy saints, right? I mean, that's hypocrisy. But being real, that's not hypocrisy at all. Peter, however, and the Jews were playing the hypocrite. They were living by grace but acting like they were living by the law. They were playing the Jew. And, and, and so, you know, the, the Lord knows, and he confronts hypocrisy in our lives. You know, he, he will confront it. Don't be fooled. You, know, you, you might be able to fool me. That's great. Awesome, you know, but you will not fool the Lord. And the Lord will reveal these things. Look at what he did to Peter in verse 14. But when I, Paul speaking, saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I imagine Paul literally walking into the fellowship hall of the church. And he's like, he walks in the doors, you know, like the saloon thing. That's my mind. This is, this is, this is Hollywooded. I'm sorry, but the, I got our artistic license here, okay? So he, he comes in the saloon, you know, I'm just kidding. But he comes in the fellowship hall. He sees, he sees two groups of people. It's like, hmm, that's funny because yesterday they were all together, but today... The Jews are over here and the Gentiles over here. What's going on here? And he calls attention to the entire group of people. And he says, Peter, what's going on here, man? What are you doing? Why, why are you over there and they're over here? How come you guys aren't mixed together like you were yesterday? Oh, I see that you have some friends from Jerusalem here with you. Oh, is that why you're acting like that, Peter? Are you, are you afraid of them? Are you now going to act like you're living like a Jew when you, when you were just previously living like a Gentile? And then you're going to act, you know, you're going to make these people actually try and live that way? That's crazy. What are you doing, man? Why are you doing that, Pete? You have led this entire group of people astray. Now, I am thankful that Paul had the gall to stand up in this moment and call this out, that he did not cower to the fear of man. Listen, you are going, God is going to reveal things in your life that you have to confront with other believers. Like he's going to put stuff in your, you're going to come across situations and things in your life that you're going to have to, nobody, we don't like confrontation, but you're going to have to do it. God is going to call you to do it. You make sure you do it the right way in love. But, but Paul stands up here, and, he, and, and, I, and I, it's almost, he throws the question out, Peter, come on, man. How is it that you live like a Gentile, and you're acting like you're living like a Jew? I don't understand. What are you doing? It was in love, but it was for the preservation of the gospel. This was for the gospel. It was bigger than this relationship. And sometimes those, those people that God puts in our life, the confrontations that we have, it's bigger than the relationship. It's bigger than the, just a little thing that's going on there. Like God may be doing something way bigger. You know, but we have to be faithful to stand firm and obey the Lord, man. You know, we live in a culture where people will hightail it far before they'll obey the Bible and confront people about their sin. What, what are we doing? Why aren't we obeying the Bible? Why aren't we doing the Matthew 18 thing? Why aren't we going before our brother that sinned against us and saying, hey, dude, you sinned against me. What are you doing? Listen. Give them an opportunity. Maybe you missed the, you know, maybe you misunderstood. Whatever, but but give the opportunity for reconciliation. If Paul would have just bailed out the door and acted like he didn't see that, we may be living in a whole different world today. But because Paul understood who he was battling, he did not cower back. He understood this is a spiritual battle. This is about the gospel. This is not about me and Peter. This is not about our relationship, which, by the way, Peter would later write, 
Paul, my beloved brother. Peter loved Paul for this. He loved that Paul called him out on the carpet because he needed that to change. God had, this is what's awesome. God gave him private opportunity to change, right? Acts chapter 10. But he fell backwards, so God then, at this point, probably trying to prevent this moment from Peter being called out publicly because he is a public official of the church and he has to be addressed publicly, you know, the Lord would, would, would try and preempt it before, but, but he would miss it. I wonder what the Lord's doing in your life. I wonder what things he's preempting you from. Maybe we should listen a little bit closer to the Holy Spirit and understand maybe the Lord's trying to prevent something in your life. Be careful. Be, be listening to the Holy Spirit. Peter was called out because he was leading people astray. Paul tells him, listen, be careful. Now, here's one thing that I think is important to understand is when you address a leader in the church, there's a process. You know, and, and the reason for that is not because a leader is higher in elevation. It's because a leader has opportunity for higher criticism. Right? So people just don't like the way somebody's doing something, and so they, you know, they call them out or whatever. That, that's not, God's, God doesn't have time for that kind of nonsense. What, what he wants us to do, though, is if there is a real legitimate issue, that we, that we actually address it biblically. And so Paul would tell Timothy that if you're going to address an elder in the church, if you're going to address somebody of leadership in the church, that you better do it with one or two, do, with two or three witnesses, and that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 17, Deuteronomy chapter 19, where the idea is this, that, you know, two or three uh, witnesses would make a fact. You know, it would, it, would, it would, if you could get two or three people that saw the same thing, and then you would address that, then that would make it a fact, right? You, you were, you were, but you couldn't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to rebuke you because of this, you know, and, and because it, it, the Lord understands that leaders in the church are subject to, to a lot of criticism, just people's feelings. They don't like certain things, you know, and to protect his leaders, he just said, listen, if you're going to do it, you should do it, by the way, if there is a problem. That, that's church discipline. It doesn't just work this way. It works that way, too. You know, that you address it if there is a problem, that you deal with it, right? I, there, was a, there was a pastor of a very, very large church, like probably three years ago, and he was called out because of the way that he treated his staff. And it was nothing about, you know, his teaching and had nothing to do with... Uh, you know, the way that, um, you know, any Im immorality or anything like that. They did a full investigation of this guy. And uh, they did find out that he was not kind to his staff. You know, so there was two or three witnesses that had gone to elders of the church. And they said, listen, here's a problem. And this needs addressed because this man stands in a pulpit every Sunday. And he preaches the love of God, but he does not show it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. So that is hypocrisy. And we need to deal with that. The man ends up getting offended by the fact that he got, you know, whatever, investigated. And he bails on the church, and the church flounders and nearly goes into bankruptcy because his feelings got hurt, because he wasn't living for Christ. You see, it's a high calling to be a leader, and you put yourself in a position of, you know, criticism, all these kind of things, but, but you are, you know, if God called you to do it, you do it anyway. But, but understand, if you're not living it outright, the Lord's, that is the, that is the stricter, the greater judgment, the stricter wrath that God is speaking about that, that, these, that Peter is under here because he's a leader. And leaders have to lead. And if you're leading the wrong way, the Lord cares about that. Right? So, so Paul says to Timothy, don't just, just take two or three. And, and then he says, as for those who persist in sin, if the leader doesn't, doesn't respond, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may rest, so that the rest may stand in fear, so that the congregation understands that there, there is legitimate church discipline. Now, if we were to call somebody on the pulpit, which I've done it before, I've had to do that before, uh, people would probably gasp for air, and they would think, like, why are you calling somebody out on their sin? Because if it's a public sin and the church knows about it, we have to call it out. That's why. I mean, we don't do it to embarrass somebody. We do it to help the, the, the congregation understand so there can be reconciliation so that God can do a healing work or, or also so that we can win our brother over, right? That, that's the purpose of it. The purpose of it is not to expose or to embarrass. 
And listen, I, I, th- I would, you know, that is not something that I find joy in doing at all. I don't think any pastor would find joy in doing that if they legitimately have the heart of Christ, right? But, but it's happened, and so you have to do that. But, but it's vice versa too. You know, there is church discipline collectively. Any leader, all of us are to, to expose to the same things, folks. And it's we're called to live according to the gospel of grace. We are called to live according to Christ's standard. And if, you're, if we're not doing that to one another, we need to talk about it amongst one another. Right? Don't run to me. Go talk to them. Go deal with it. And then, you know, if you can't get that resolved, then take another brother with you. Take another sister with you. Go deal with it. If you can't get that resolved, and I'm not just talking one time. Like if you've exhausted the idea that there's no way there's going to be reconciliation, then you take it before the church. And then the elders of the church will, will have a conversation. If that doesn't work, then you treat the person like an unbeliever. That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because it's about the preservation of the gospel. It's bigger than one person, folks. It is way bigger than one person. It's about preserving God's word. It's about calling people to the standard. And although we fail, and you know, that we, we, we're gentle with each other, we lift each other up, but if there's just outright you know, sin and people aren't willing to repent, you've got to deal with it. Paul says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. You know that in your household if you have kids. If you don't deal with one, it will spill over into others. Beware. So Paul is simply addressing this out of love because it's, it's a requirement, and it's a requirement of you as well. Uh, Paul goes on here, and, and speaking of this infidelity of Peter in, in verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, period. You cannot work your way to salvation. You can't make yourself good enough. You can be justified by Jesus Christ, which is by grace through faith. He goes on, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died, listen, for no purpose. If you can make yourself right with God through the law, then Jesus died for no reason. But Jesus did die for a reason because we can't justify ourselves before the Lord. Paul is calling Peter back to how we become righteous. And Peter knows this. Listen, he'd been walking with the Lord for a long time. He understands that righteousness can only come by grace through faith in Christ. And yet, because of the fear of man, he fell backward into this thing of trying to have this appearance of law-keeping. It's a terrible place to be. Even Peter even said in the council meeting with the Jews there in Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas, he said, God made no distinction between us, speaking to the Jews, and them Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. He knew this. This is not new. And so what does that say to you? You have the same capacity to do the same thing he did because it has nothing to do with knowledge. It has everything to do with application. Are you applying God's word Don't just know it up here. Apply it in your life. Make sure you're living out the gospel of grace, man. Don't just speak about it and live in a legalistic manner. Live out the gospel of grace. That's what he goes on to say. Listen, if we can justify ourselves, then then Jesus Jesus died for no reason. And Paul would, by the way, go on, and he he would write in Romans chapter 5 an incredible exposition on what justification is. You can read that later. Look it up. But literally, justification is a legal process whereby God declares that you are, not, you're, you're no, you are cleansed, that your sin is no longer visible to him. It is completely and totally washed clean. You are clean. Ju- the, the word justify means just as if you had never sinned. Are you perfect? 
In Christ you are. In Christ you are. God has already seen you as you already are perfected in heaven. You know that? Because of the blood of Christ. When Jesus, when God sees you, he sees his son. He sees perfection. And Jesus constantly makes intercession to make sure with palms up that everybody knows that he paid for you, that he paid the price. May you remember that on a daily basis, that he paid the price. Peter said, or, um, Paul says to Peter, Pete, we've been crucified, man. We died. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 7? If you die to the law and then, you're, then you're, you're released from the law, like the married woman is released from the law if her husband dies, we were crucified with Christ. We died. We were risen with Christ. Now we're living in this new spirit, this new covenant that he's given us. We've been born again. So don't try to relate to him in the old way. Relate to him in the new way, by faith in the Son of God. Listen, who gave himself for you. I, I love to remind you and myself constantly that Jesus freely came. He freely came for you. His father didn't say, I'm dictating you to come. He said, I freely come. I will freely lay down my life. I will freely take it back up because I'm God. But I will freely do it because I love you. Listen, Pete, you blew it, man. You fell back into works. Now, repent and move on. It's that simple. Peter doesn't have to go through a seven-day, you know, ceremonial cleansing. That would be law. He doesn't have to go through this continual, you know, trying to be made right with God by, by repentance and, you know, doing all these different things, saying all these different prayers and all this kind of stuff. No, it's just one simple prayer of repentance. It's, Lord, I'm turning away from my sin right now. I'm turning to you. Will you forgive me for relating to you in that way? Will you forgive me, Lord? And, of course, the Lord will. He will. Stand for the true gospel. Preserve the true gospel. Uh, you know, be people faithful to the true gospel of grace, folks, because it matters, because people are watching. And if you're the only Christian in the circle that you're hanging out in, guess what? God expects you to have, you, you have a standard that God calls you to live to. And you're responsible for how you live before these people. You're not going to ever give a, you're never going to stand before me and give an account for what you've done. You're never going to stand before anyone else on this earth and give an account for what you've done, but you will stand before the Lord. Even as a Christian, you will stand before the Lord and he's going to say to you, what did you do with the life that I gave you after, I, after you were born again? What are you doing with it? Are you living for the Lord? Are you steadfast with the gospel? Are you cowering to man? Are you afraid? Listen, take those things before the Lord. Ask him to change your heart. Help him to be centered. I love this. I'm going to close with this one quote from Solomon, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We just praise you and honor you, that you love us the way you do, God. Not only that, Lord, but that you can transform the heart of a man, a woman, a child, God, in such a way that, that, that we too can love in that same manner. To overcome personal offense, Lord, to not allow uh, our feelings to get in the way, even uh, you know, of, of what you want to do in a situation. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit can produce that unconditional kind of love that you have for us, that we can have for one another. And Lord, we ask for more of that in our lives today. We ask, Lord, that we would surrender any fleshliness to you today, God, that if there's any amount of legalism in our lives, if we are trying to relate to you, if we have not been faithful to the gospel of grace in any way, Lord, that we just want to confess that to you, repent of that, turn away from it. We want to turn to the true gospel of grace, which is available to anyone at any time by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel, that you didn't make it difficult. You made it simple for even a child to attain. But all we would have to do is surrender our lives to you, which is everything. It's, it's a big deal. But, Lord, then we would live at your feet, fully surrendered the rest of our lives. And that's the struggle, God. That's the rub. We ask you today for, for the saints in this place, Lord, that as we attempt to be surrendered to you, Father, that you strengthen us in this area, that we don't become overambitious in our flesh, 
But we are reminded, Lord, that whatever we encounter, it's all spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. We don't fight flesh and blood and that we just would stand firm in the spirit. Lord, we wouldn't try and relate to any battle in the flesh, Lord. Encourage your saints this morning, God. Strengthen us. We thank you, Father. We pray for anyone in this place this morning that doesn't know you, that needs a relationship with you this morning as people continue to pray, Lord, that you open up the heart. Only you can do it, Lord. You're calling people to come to surrender in faith in you, to simply believe in the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me personally, that he rose again from the dead for me personally, and that through him, total surrender to him, I can be made right with the God of the universe who loves me and who gave himself for me. So we ask you to just have your way in us as we continue to worship, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.